This is The A. I'm Reg Clay. And Norman G. This is The A, where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. Yay! As always, we are sponsored by Central Works, a new play theater headed up by Gary Graves and Jan Fleifler. Central Works, reinventing theater one play at a time. And we uh, want to thank Central Works for sponsoring the Yay and our wonderful, um, I still don't know what her, what her um, title is. Our oh, I thought we came up with it. Um, yeah. But Mallory Samara, has been, Mallory Samara has been helping Consultant us. Producer. Consultant Producer. So we want to thank Mallory for helping us out, for uh, consulting and helping us produce the A to make it even better. And we have a wonderful guest, Aaron Merritt. Aaron, how are you today? I'm doing great. It's so nice to be here with you. Yeah, and look at that beautiful backyard that uh, you have there. Uh, you are the creator of Neighborhood Stories, an array of short live performances that unfold all across a given city or neighborhood, created by artists who live in the neighborhood to, exo- to evoke the heartbeat of that neighborhood. And uh, you are also the uh, former creator of Women's Will. That so you've cool. been doing a lot of creative theater. Um, and we'll learn- For a long time. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. I'm old. I'm really old. <laughs> well, that's, hey, all, all of us are getting up there, but I uh, know you've done some f- fantastic work and are doing fantastic work. Uh, as I begin every uh, podcast, Norman, how's your week? Man, I, I'm done with this hybrid business. Can we be done? Can we please? I am, I'm rushing back from the College of Marin. I worked last night here doing a Zoom thing. I'm, I'm tired. <sighs> And, and now herding people together for a meeting, it used to be you'd say, well, we don't all have to get together. So can we just find a time on Zoom? No. Yeah, yeah, no. <sighs> but, you know, hey, we, hey, we're colored. I think all of us um, and there's one county that's not colored yellow, um, not or- it's orange. So uh, we, the number's coming down. So I'm, I'm encouraged. And you know. I am with that. Oh, the other neat thing in my neighborhood. Well, so, so positive thing in my neighborhood is we have new neighbors. And they are experiencing a street like we've never seen. Our side street has been just potholes. Like if you drive up it, you drive in the middle and you're still dodging potholes. And we all know that. So you just sort of, you make space for people. It's all perfectly paved. So these new people moved in and I'm like, oh, they don't know. (laughs) This beautiful new street is new, like 20 years in the making. And then there was a shooting last week. Oh no. Oh yeah. In fact, I had to apologize to my kids. I do a Tuesday, Thursday class and I went in on Thursday and I said, I just need to give you guys a heads up that right before I came here on Tuesday, somebody, I didn't even know anybody gotten shot. There was shooting. I knew that. And a car went speeding by and a guy went running by and it turns out they were trying to rob a van and the guy came out and claims they shot at him and he just emptied, oh gosh, almost two dozen bullets into the atmosphere. Did anyone die? Yep. Oh, God. Yep. And um, yeah, so I went right from that. Like I was going to get in my car when that happened. And I stood on the street and saw a man with a gun in his hand Mm. in the middle of the street. And I'm like, I don't know what to do right now. I just stood there until he kind of walked back to the sidewalk. And then my wife came out and I said, are you okay?" And she was calling 911. So I was like, well, I'm going to go teach a class because theater right now, that's that's what I should be doing. So on Thursday, I went in and I said, I just need to let you know, I, I was a little off and I'm still a little off because. Yeah. Beautiful new street. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. No, I totally hear you. 
Aaron, are things idyllic where you where you are? I mean, <laughs> idyllic. How, are you, how are you dealing with things, uh, you know, post or close to post COVID? Yeah, I mean, remarkably well. I really am sort of surprised, but I, you know, I have my moments of feeling just manic. Um, and I'm, I'm talking to a lot of people today and then I'll be out tomorrow running the route for neighborhood stories. And I find when I'm interacting with people, then I'm, I have a hard time kind of settling down after that. So it's going to be I, I, like, we've all been really rewired, um, during this time. And I think yeah. it's going to be a while before we can wire ourselves back or find out what the new wiring is. Um, but I am, I am really lucky that I live in this totally idyllic neighborhood that I stumbled onto like no artists I, I never you know I mean we're working class poor people right like and I stumbled right. on this, this house and I think this has really um, been a big part of my being able to save some sort of scrap of sanity during this period because I have this deck I could come sit on it's very calm out here um, it feels it's it's up high so like I can see that I'm connected to the city but I also feel a little separated from the chaos of it it so that what, is what, what county is it oakland san francisco where, where are you at? oh no i'm in el cerrito i'm kind of the top of the oh moment. very nice yeah, yeah. so I'm, i look straight onto the um richmond san rafael bridge and mount tam so it's an it's a it's a shockingly beautiful view um but it does feel weird because i mean growing up as an art like i always knew i was going to be a work in theater so i just was like you know age five i was like i will be poor all my life and I am, but it doesn't look like I am. So there's, there's always kind of that like split reality going on for me. Um, so I, I get to feel really lucky every day. No, no, that's awesome, man. Everyone, everyone should feel that way. I mean, I feel that way being here in Jack London Square. So I'm yeah. right next to the water. So that's uh, really, really cool. Oh, that's nice. Um, yeah, I, uh, the water is such a big deal when you're, when you're feeling stressed out, just having some water to look on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is it? Are people hearing me? Um, my, yeah. I didn't feel like my mic is okay. There, there it is. Uh-huh. Zoom. Welcome, welcome to Zoom Life. Oh, the other, the other yeah, thing I, I may as well mention is sure. um, this is a new setup for me. I bought a new laptop. My other laptop was crapping out a couple of weeks ago, and the uh, and the thankfully camera- my wife was like, just get the new thing because if you wait, you're going to lose everything you've got. And the transfer was amazing. I just basically hit a button. It said, do you want to transfer? I went click and it went. Whoosh. It took a while, but it's still it just. Yeah, everything is on the new laptop. The, the camera is much, much better. I thought it was lighting, but maybe it's just the camera. Yeah, well, no, the light. No, it's yeah, because before the edges were all kind of fuzzy mm-hmm. and shady. And and I had, right before I dropped it a couple of weeks before that happened and I had a, a light spike that hit right here. Mm hmm. Yeah, no, it's very, very cool. It's clean. Yeah, I always, always love it when I get a new laptop. I think I'm about to get one now because I'm having some battery issues with mine. Uh-huh. But uh, in any case, no, I always feel uh, good when I get a new laptop. There have been a couple of uh, current events. Well, I guess the main thing, at least for me, I've been following the uh, the Chauvin case, the uh, Derek Chauvin oh, yes. case, pretty much all this week. And Aaron, you and I were talking about it off mic. I've been very impressed with the prosecution. I have no idea what's going to happen, but I just get the vibe that things are going the way that it should. Um, you know, we, the medical examiner, you know, he spoke yesterday basically saying that um, he, he felt it was a homicide. He felt that mm-hmm. Jeremy Chauvin, you know, killed George Floyd. I, I, they did a very good job humanizing George Floyd. Um, 
they've had witnesses that, you know, that witnessed a murder and they talk about how, you know, the emotion that came through it. Also, there were cops and that's something that we usually never see who testified against their own basically. Right. The we chief of police. Needed. Yes. Yes. So that that's encouraging. I, I really think there's a newer generation. You know, this isn't the generation of um, jurors that, you know, would have said, well, you know, you shouldn't have done something bad. So uh, this is what happens. Uh, this is a new generation. It's like, no, we're not. This is not, we're not going to do the same thing that we did with. Um, um, Rodney so King many. And, yeah. yeah. And many, many others. So that that's very encouraging. I mean, that's how I felt. Did you have any thoughts about that, Norman? I, you know, I, I can't, I want them to be done because yeah. you live through too many of these, you know, you thought, oh my God, they had all the evidence in the world. Rodney King, there's videotape. Oh my God, they have to find them guilty. You know, it just on and on and on. And I'm like, no, right now, literally we have seen people murdered on videotape live. We've seen it live mm-hmm. and gosh, no, the cop was feared for his life. This dude sat there with his hand in his pocket, staring the crowd down. Yeah. I feared and for I, my life, my ass. Yeah. And in two, four, in two minutes, 45 seconds after he was still non-responsive. So yeah. no, I think the prosecutor is doing a fantastic job. Um, I can move on to other things. But Aaron, did you have any thoughts about that? Oh, just what we were saying before that. I mean, you're I think you're absolutely right that the prosecution has gotten it spot on and they're thorough and they're covering everything. They're covering any possible objection. And so if it, you know. If there's not a conviction on, you know, I don't, I don't know what they'll convict on, but if they don't convict on something pretty major, then it's going to be clear to a vast proportion of the population, and we're going to have um, some major backlash, and that makes yeah. sense to me. Yeah, like, which is something we don't. It feels yeah. like a tipping point in a way that some of the other things haven't. I don't know why this one feels so different, but it really does feel like a tipping point. Um, yeah. I really think it's the power of the phone. I really think that, you know, having so many individuals, you know, just mm-hmm. recording things and um, it's like, I don't want to say interactive, but you feel like you're a part of justice that, you know, you can actually change things just by, you know, having that camera just, you know, pointing it to mm-hmm. say, listen, you know, we're going to be a witness to what's going on. And, uh, you know, it's powerful evidence and, um, you know, you get powerful testimony and you have the whole world watching. So mm-hmm. I, I just feel that things are going to be different. I, you know, a lot of people are pessimistic, but I, I feel optimistic. I think, you know, um, there's going to be some sort of a convic- conviction. Yeah. So, so there's Fingers that. Crossed. Yeah. There's also Matt Gates. I mean, this is crazy. You know, this is, <laughs> I know it's, you know, you got to laugh to keep from crying. <laughs> I mean, geez, using Apple. I mean, if you're going to buy, you know, you know, let's you know, there's I mean, don't shit. buy your prostitutes on. So, you know, on on something that is a tra- has a trail. Exactly. PayPal. And it's not PayPal. It was uh, cash app. Venmo. And, yeah. Venmo and uh, the Apple Pay. But also she's underage traveling across state lines and using taxpayer money. I mean, you know, I love pick, that pick the, the Republicans are going to have to fight against this. Isn't this notion of taking someone across state lines, isn't that outdated and ridiculous? Yeah, when it's one of you, suddenly it's outdated and ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, they created that whole thing to get Chuck Berry. Remember Chuck Berry had, you know, was they wanted to. Oh, I didn't know what was it was because Jack. No, they got Jack. uh, Jack. What's Jack Johnson? The uh, the boxer. Oh, they got him. Even even before then. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's like 1910 or something. Yeah. Yeah. Using it against, um, you know, black people interracially dating. But of course, they talk about 
all across state lines or whatever. But yeah, Matt Gates. I mean, and I don't see the Republicans rallying around him as much. So hopefully, this one alt. Go ahead. One, not not rallying around them, but one has come. Oh no, I think two. Two congressmen have come out and said he needs to step down. I'm like, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So we'll see if this alt alt right revolution is breaking down now that people and people are pushing away from Trump. You know, uh, so we'll see. We'll see. And I usually tr- throw in a, a fun thing, Little Nas X, and he's a, a rapper. I don't know if you heard. He's like a country rapper. He's like a black. Yes. Country. Rapper. Yes. Country rap. Gay. Gay. Gay right. country that's, rap. That's exactly right. And was, so he got into an issue with. Oh, Nike. wait. Gay black country rap. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Totally of the new generation. Totally a millennial who's who is in control of his identity and all that sort of stuff. And uh, I guess he put out a album. I mean, so there was the Nike shoe that he put out that had real yes. blood in it. Which one Nike, drop, Nike, just one drop. Yeah, which they pulled. But also just to, well, they didn't I, pull. I think they sold out those shoes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they only when made that, like 600 something of them. 666. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Oh, yes. OK. 666. Yeah. Um, they had sold them out when uh, Nike said cease and desist. And I really think. We can just wait, but I'm fairly certain that there's going to be a little Nas signature shoe yeah. coming out. I'm surprised from Aaron, Nike. You're pretty hip, Aaron, to know all of this stuff. I had to read it. <laughs> <laughs> On uh, you know, the- I love mischief, um, and uh, and I don't mean. And actually, I think this shoe company is actually called Mischief, but and that's not what I mean. But oh, I, that's I right. Artists. Yes, I love artists who are just messing with people, and I. Uh, so I, I've I have been kind of following also my i do have um teenagers so they well that helps that, that totally helps but also, i was telling mara mm-hmm. i i as soon as it came up i was like oh you haven't seen the video no you have and i don't mean the controversial video i mean the first one well because it's the whole video is like starts with chris rock bunch of guys on horses chasing and he disappears and then lands in this music video the um little nas x character and I kept waiting for the joke because I'm like, there's a black guy. He looks like a young black guy. And he's kind of rapping, but he's also very much giving us this sort of Texas feel. And he's riding along through our world on a horse. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? I have no idea what this is. I watched it over and over just trying to make sense of it. And then I heard that it blew up and, you know, billboard and. I'm like, that's where we are. We are in this world where we are owning stuff that nobody wants to give us. Yeah. But he's also making a statement about, you know, he's gay and he's making a statement about individuals who think that he's going to hell. He's like, okay, if I'm going to go to hell, then I'm going to own it and I'm going to, you know, and. uh, Well, the first video, the first video, he wasn't out. He came out after he was getting awards for his first thing. So they didn't even know he was gay. Right. Just black man being country. Okay. Oh, rap. Yeah. yeah, I think you're talking about Old Town Road. And yeah, that was, yeah. that was a big, big hit. But the second one, he's really, really just overtly basically saying, listen, you know, you religious zealots who are, who are you know, who are um, judging me for who I am. I'm going to throw it back in your face. I mean, it's really, yeah. really bold. And uh, it's interesting. It's, it's one of these cultural um, tug of war things. And, um, but you know, he, he's truly, truly expressing himself. And uh, it's, it's fun. Yeah, now it's fascinating. All righty. With all that, let's get into an origin story. Miss Merritt, um, how'd you get involved in theater? Where were you born and raised? 
Oh, well, I was born in Oregon, but I was mostly, ra- I've been raised in uh, California. Um, I was just born at the end of my dad's uh, grad school. Um, <clears throat> so I kind of consider myself a dual native of nother- Northern and Southern California. Um, I lived in, in Southern California as a small child and then moved to the Bay Area when I was 10, I think. Where were you uh, guys in Southern Cal? Pasadena. Ah, yep. nice. Yep. Um, and then I actually lived in Pasadena again for three years as an adult, too. Um, that's a whole other non-theater story. But, um, but yeah, so I, I feel equally comfortable both places, but I love the Bay Area theater community so much that I really made a concerted decision as an adult that this, was, this is where I was going to make my work, if at all possible. Um, so I consider myself, yeah, I'm a Bay Area pe- person with maybe a little of the the forthrightness of an L.A. person. Yeah. Did you get involved in theater when you were young, like in high school and all that stuff? Yeah. Um, actually, I was older than I wanted to be. I kept trying to. I, I fought, saw my first show when I was four at um, the actually the Asia Pacific Museum in, in, in uh, Pasadena. Pacific Asian? Asian Pacific. I can never remember which it is. Um, and uh, it, it was a guy, you know, one actor doing um, the, you know, the, the that fisherman and the sea story. That's not it. That's Hemingway. Oh. The old man and the sea. Well, whatever it is, it's not the Hemingway. It's the, the, the fairy tale. Um, and I thought, oh, this is a job adults can do. Uh, well, okay, I've got my job. And so I think I was four mm-hmm. um, or five. I might have been five. Because I know shortly thereafter, I, I uh, foisted a um, homemade puppet show on my kindergarten classmates, uh, like it or not. Um, so that was kind of when I made the decision. And then I tried to get my mother to let me go to auditions, and she was not down for that. Um, so I had to wait until I was a teenager um, and then sign myself up for classes that she would take me to. Um, so you did the high school stuff? I did the high school stuff, although it was mostly musicals and I'm not really a singer. Um, so I was playing bit roles, um, but I was already kind of chafing at the roles that, that the girls were getting. And I, my first professional audition was actually for, I think it was called Berkeley Stage Company. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, just so, so long ago. Um, and, uh, and they were doing Tom Sawyer and I think they'd already cast Becky Thatcher, but I was like, well, can I audition anyway? Because you never know, you might want me for Tom. (laughs) (laughs) And and they were like, yeah, I guess so, kid. You know, and then I'm sure I did a perfectly awful audition um, because I had no (laughs) no coaching or any guidance on what that might be. Um, And in high school, we did Three Penny Opera and they, you know, you you have the sign up sheet that says, who do you want to play? And I was like, well, McKeith, I mean, who else would you want to play in that? Oh, right. Um, and they la- they did laugh at me. I mean, it was like, why are you laughing? You asked. I mean, if you didn't want to know, you know. Yeah, why not a Lady Mac the Knife? Why not? No, I mean, I would have played him as a guy. I think he is a man. Like, they're, they're right. very gendered about the way that character is. And, and, and that is part of what makes that show so wonderful. Because Polly, who's playing the, you know, typical oh gosh, I don't know what I'm getting myself into. I don't know I'm marrying a gangster character ends up actually, once he goes to jail, taking it over and running it way better than he ever did. And like, that's a really interesting commentary in that show. So mm-hmm. I, I don't think you want to turn that character into a woman. Um, and I didn't intend to play him as a woman. Um, did but I didn't. Throw- 
they didn't give it to you? They did not. Mm. They went actually. It was Aaron Davidman. I don't know if you guys know him. Oh yeah, of course. Aaron Davidman played that role. Um, Deb Fink was in that. Um, she was the street singer. Uh, my high school. Damn. A lot of people who are still making theater in the Bay Area. No, I played Great. a big, and I said, I'll take this role if I can play it as a man. And they said, okay, sure. So that was my first male role on stage. I think I was 16, 15, something like that. Nice. Where yeah. did, you go to, did you go to college? Yeah, I went to Reed College in Portland, which is not known for its theater, although it maybe should be because uh, Ann Washburn came out of there and uh, uh, Eric Overmeyer, Lee Blessing, um, came out of there who else would you know from there oh um i don't know if you guys know the the yes men but there are these amazing political pranksters um that do this sort of national scale stuff yeah, I, I have heard of them yeah 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 one of them who's uh, got a secret identity so i won't name him but he came out of the the, the character known as mike bonanno uh, was another one of my classmates <laughs> so uh, we had not much of a theater department there it was really tiny i think it graduated four people a year when we started and um, and we decided there wasn't enough going on there. We made a whole bunch of, uh, we made a, we, we created an open performance forum called midnight theater that performed once a month at midnight. Um, it was kind of a vaudeville, like anyone could come and bring an act. Um, we, uh, the, the artist now known as Mike Bonanno uh, created a, his, what ended up being yes, man, he was doing that kind of work then. Um, and uh, and we he got funding for something, and then I said, "How did you fund that?" And he said, "Oh, I went. You know, this is this is the what I did." And you know, everybody there was just very collaborative, so it wasn't a, a competition kind of situation where people would try to hide information from you. And so he was like, "Oh, I got money by asking this person about this." And so I I went to my theater department and said, "I want money to do a show before my thesis show." as practice and they were like, we don't have any money. So I was like, okay, well, and I went to the department he went to and got money and then went back to my theater department and said, they're giving me money. What's wrong with you guys? Um, so then they're like, okay, we'll give you some money. So uh, we kind of helped each other figure out um, how you make work that matters to you when it's not happening on its own. You know, so we were um, not going to wait for gatekeepers to make things happen. We were, we were going to figure mm -hmm. out how to happen. And, and, and really instilled in me that sense of, art making as something that's not about competing with each other, but is about helping each other each um, create your best. And the notion of if you can create that, then I probably can too. And let's, um, let's teach each other how to do that. And uh, that I've carried with me ever since. And it's, uh, it's the way I look at, at theater and, and creating art. So um, I guess, even though it wasn't a theater school, it's pretty foundational. Yeah, no, it strikes me just listening to you. I mean, you know, this, your experience, uh, at the college and also you know just you creating women's will and you know we'll talk about that but it sounds like you you're the type of individual that doesn't just think of theater as being on stage and performing but also something you create like you getting behind the stage or you you know financing it and it sounds like you know you you had a philosophy of theater being something that you don't that 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 is all consuming that you know that you created from the beginning middle and end you know, from an administrator. I mean, am, am I getting that right? I mean, um, yeah, I mean, I am, I am definitely a systems person. I would love for people to hire me to just direct and, and only have to do that. Like, so people should feel free to talk to me about just directing. Um, but it is true that I look at theater actually even more than you're saying as a, as a, you know, 
a toe to tails kind of thing, but as a, as an environmental thing, like this is really, um, it's not an accident that I do a lot of outdoor and site specific work. Um, but it's, uh, I do not believe that theater or any art exists to entertain people. Um, it, that is the entertainment that we provide is a byproduct of us doing really good work that matters about something. So, um, you know, I do a lot of teaching and I'm like, there are three components to theater. You have people who are members of a community talking about something that matters to that community, to other members of that community, the audience. And if you don't have all three of those things, you don't have theater. So I'm really always about, it's not about picking a play that I think is fun. It's about what is going on in the world right now, um, either where we are physically or time-wise, or what is about to happen that we need to be paying attention to. Um, that's, that's the work that I'm really interested in and what, what makes it urgent. And urgency can show up in all sorts of different ways. I mean, comedies can be absolutely urgent just as much as dramas can. Um, and, uh, and so that's, that's what I'm looking at always with, with Woman's Will, with Neighborhood Stories. Those both came out of that same impetus of where are we? What is missing? What do we need? Um, and how do we do that? <laughs> what, yeah. or, what are we being told no about and how can we get to a yes? On that um, yeah, that's awesome. I was just writing down. I, I love that those three philosophies, the three things that make theater, um, the people that are on the stage, mm-hmm. the, 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 you know, what's being discussed, you know, the actual script, the work, mm-hmm. and the audience, and that the conversation, the interaction between the two, and even the three. I mean, do you also work with um, living playwrights? I mean, do you? Yes, I yeah. love working with, yeah. So Women's Will, maybe... Yeah, let's talk about women's will. Like, give people the context of women's will, so when I mention it, you sure. know what. Um, so, women's will was an all-female Shakespeare company um, back when, back before people were using the term non-binary, right. uh, and uh, and it existed. And it, we did actually work with men as well, um, and we worked with performers who um, came out as trans later. Um, but the that arose out of a really natural distressing situation which was that I was doing a lot of auditions I was mostly acting then although I had been cross-trained as a director but I was um it was easier for me to know what how to start an acting career so I was I was acting and going to audition after audition after audition mostly for Shakespeare pieces which of course were written for men um which is how we met actually yeah yeah exactly um yeah I was telling we we you played Puck and I was your understudy. So we shared a costume. Um, <laughs> I never thought of it that way. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, we shared a costume. Um, and because Shakespeare was writing for men and then for boys to play the women, the women's roles are very short. And it's not that they're bad. They're actually great. Um, but they kind of come on and have a big, you know, showy thing and then disappear for a lot of the show. And they're often positioned as um, somebody's wife-to-be or somebody's wife or somebody's mom or right. whatever. Um, I, I, will, I really do want to stand up for Shakespeare. I think he, given the time and place he was writing in, he wrote a re- amazing roles for women that are still some of the best roles for women. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he wasn't really writing them for women. Um, so when you're casting a play by Shakespeare, you're looking for probably 15 men and maybe three women. It's going to be harder to, for you to find enough men. So people tend to default to find, trying to get all the men cast first. And then they go, okay, what woman would look good with that man? 
instead of going, what woman is the person who we want to carry that role? Right. Um, and it's very, it's subconscious. People don't notice that they're doing it, but you'll, you'll notice that like the same woman would be cast over and over and over. They'd be like, oh, she works really w well with that guy. Let's cast her against him again. And so um, it just, it meant that it was, there were all of these women who were incredibly well-trained who weren't getting the stage time that you need to really finish learning how to do Shakespeare because it's not just about your training. It really is about practice. Um, and who were sitting there psyching themselves and each other out in the audition room. And I thought that was just deeply, deeply unhealthy for, for their psyches. And I would sit there week after week and I'd look at this row of like 50, literally there was one audition where there were, it was a callback and there were 50 women there. No, there were 55. 50 for the main roles and five for the little tiny, um, it was, it was uh, Mary Wives of Windsor. So five, five of us were up for the, for Anne Page, um, which we don't really need to audition for. Um, <laughs> and I, and I watched these women over and over and I was like, you know, probably 50 out of these 55 people are qualified to play these roles. Um, so it's going to be random how it's cast. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and not only that, but I'm impressed with these women and I want to work with them. I don't want to be competing against them. I want to be working with them. And, um, and I'm early in my career and I want to be learning from them instead of, uh, you know, when I would get cast in a show, I would learn from the men and I don't have a problem with that, but I wanted to be learning with the women as well. Um, and there's also just not, there's, there's not the range of roles in Shakespeare where you get to start as a spear carrier, work up to like three lines and then work up to a paragraph and then work up to a slightly bigger, up to the bigger roles. So it just was a very weird dynamic. And so I said, all right, if we, somebody just needs to give all these roles to women for a while. And, um, and, and uh, everybody said, I kept saying that. And everyone said, that's a great idea. You have to do it. And then at a certain point I thought, if I don't do this and someone else does it and doesn't invite me, I'm going to be so mad. Um, I'm just going to die of jealousy. So I guess I'll do it. And so I gathered a bunch of people. I didn't do it by myself. A bunch of people came and helped. And um, there were various people who helped but weren't company members, other people who were company members. Um, and we, we just said about um, putting women um, at the forefront, in, uh, on stage, off stage, design, directing, acting, and, uh, and playing with what gender performance is. We didn't impersonate men, we just suggested maleness. Um, and um, and discovered that there's a ton of gender commentary in Shakespeare's play that you just don't normally see when it's a single, when it's a double gender or when it's a traditionally cast show. Mm -hmm. uh, so we found a bunch of interesting things in there, but, but our, but our real goal was to get to give women big enough roles um, that the rest of the community would wake up to um, women can play these roles. Women should play these roles. There should be more, uh, more roles for women, more leading roles for women being put up on stages um, and that, um, that they sh women should be getting to do a broader range of things in the roles that they're given. Um, and then there was a, the, uh, the almost silent, but we would always try to kind of sneak it in somewhere. And this should be the case for men as well. Men also should not be stuck in the stupid little tiny gender boxes that they're stuck in. Mm -hmm. um, so how, how, pop how popular was women's will? Did you guys get, you know, women's will was around for a while. <laughs> Yeah, we were around for 14 years. I ran it for the first 12 of that. Um, yeah, and then I was kind of like, oh, I want to work with new work. I miss, I miss doing new work. I really, really love working with playwrights. So, um, 
But it sounds like, I mean, we were talking off mic how women's will, I mean, you know, it's it's the very spirit of um, creating an environment for women to explore, you know, what they can do on stage and just explore uh, the characters they can do, you know, outside of the stereotypical cliches of, you know, the damsel in distress or, you know, the, the stereotypical roles that usually male writers or producers will make for women. And it sounds like Women's Will sort of exploded that and other companies are sort of catching on, not necessarily from Women's Will, but, you know, we have yeah, social I mean, media. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, I think, yes. And it was, I, I don't want to underplay what it was for for women to get to do those roles because I think it was transformative for a number of people. Um, but I would want them to speak to that more than I would. I only played a few of the roles. Um, but it really wasn't uh, an event evangelical movement of you need to pay attention to these women. And once somebody plays Richard III, you can't pretend that they can't play any other role in the world. Mm -hmm. So like Emily Jordan played Richard III for us and she was already, she should have been getting bigger roles before that. And that made people pay attention and go, Oh, well, and she like her career took a big upswing at that point. Um, Rami Margran came through uh, our Mm -hmm. show. Everybody had kind of figured out that Rami was an amazing actor, but in the typical binary that was going on, then people weren't totally sure where to put them. And, you know, Rami getting to come in and play a male character made everybody go, oh, I get that this person is not, I'm not going to try to jam this person into an ingenue role. I'm going to, but I can put this person anywhere. They can play anything. Mm -hmm. Um, Carla Pantoja came through us. She was just um, pretty early in her stage combat career. Uh, and she got to do a bunch of uh, choreography. She got a bunch of experience that she was, you know, these people were going to make it anyway. They didn't necessarily need Woman's Will, but it was a place where they could really do what they do best and show that off, and, and, um, and, I, and I hope it kind of accelerated their careers or brought attention to them. Um, Chloe Bronson runs Symmetry Theater, also came, you know, was a, in a bunch of our shows, um, a number of people, Aaron Carter, I, 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 I'm missing lots of people, but, um, but it was really for, I think for the participants, it was about the experience that they were getting and the getting to not have to make themselves a little smaller for a role. Um, but for me as the producer, it was really about, Hey, the rest of you, you're missing out, not using these people. Um, don't try to tell me that women, uh, that, that, you're not going to have um, good audiences if you put on something that's all women. Um, we were always packed. People love, you know, you say all, all women something and people go, where do I sign up? Right. Um, so it was about kind of exploding a lot of BS that was coming from producers around, well, we can't hire women or we can't program shows that have a bunch of women's roles. Or we can't blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, you know what? 67% of your ticket buyers are women. You can certainly put women on stage. Yeah. <laughs> right. And also not just uh, women as, you know, uh, exp- you know, exploring roles as actors, but also directors. I mean, you also yeah. had women uh, directors, not just you, right? Oh, yeah, no. Um, Leslie McCauley directed for us, Re- Rebecca Novick directed for us, Mary Coleman, who was at Magic then, or she, she had just right. left Magic was at, at Pixar, I think. Um, uh, I'm completely blanking. But yeah, a ton of women directed for us. Ginny Reed. Oh, wow. I should have this list. I'm forgetting really important people. Yeah. 
No, but that's okay. And you also we'll, we'll invite them to uh, to add their names. Yeah. Yes, add your names. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm just you, you, you had mentioned that you had worked with uh, Don Monique Williams. We were talking about her, yeah, on yeah. Mike, and uh, you know she's done uh, some excellent. So it sounds like Women's Will not only you know, created a sort of, I don't want to say playground, but a, a, an environment for yeah. uh, women to take on different roles, but also um, for uh, women directors. And yeah. uh, imagine <clears throat> even in working in tech, you know, we had, um, who was the person that you brought on, Norman, who was the, um, she was the lighting designer. Um, I love uh, oh, Shep. Stephanie Johnson. That's exactly right. Dr. Stephanie Johnson. And, uh, you know, yeah. she talked about, you know, her role as a woman and just, you know, just, you know, um, in lighting a stage mm -hmm. and just really just thinking from a woman's perspective and certain little things that you wouldn't ordinarily think about. And I'm sure that applies to directing as well. Um, do you ever, do you get a chance to direct? I mean, uh, now, I mean, with Neighborhood Stories, are you directing that? I, I am directing a couple of the pieces in that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have had a, an interrupted career, which has been weird, which is maybe a subject of a whole other... Oh, like it I, comes up. That should be a podcast series in and of itself, um, mm -hmm. because I had to move for family reasons for a few years. So um, just as I was leaving Women's Will, right when I should have converted that into directing for a bunch of other people, um, I had to leave town. And so I've come back now as a middle-aged person going, hey, hire me. And people are like, I don't remember your work, you know? Um, and so that's been a little, that's been hard, uh, honestly, um, emotionally hard and, um, and financially hard and just sad. It's sad um, because I feel like mm -hmm. I have a ton to give. So, um, and, and people seem to remember my, producing but not so my directing and then they and then like I directed the last three uh directed and, and produced with theater bay area the last three theater bay area awards but I think people don't notice that that show is directed right um, if it goes well they probably you know? don't yeah so and I'm not one of those I, I am I am a director who, who who likes to kind of disappear into the show I'm really trying to um I'm trying to put forth, if it's a new play, the playwright's vision, not mine. I'm trying to put forth what I think is the truth of that show in this moment. And so I think I'm less obvious as a director. And like, I can identify what my directing is and what it feels like and what it looks like and how you can recognize my directing is in comparison to somebody else's. Um, but every time I say that, people are like, oh, they, they just haven't thought about that. So... I'm still trying to figure out how to position myself to other theater companies um, and, and, and talk to them about why they should hire me and what I do and, and you know, what it is that I specifically bring to that. And I found weirdly, because I have no musical theater training, musical theater folks get my directing um, and are really, really excited about it because, um, and I'll come in and I'll say, I don't know anything about the music, but then I'll be like, you know how the music, like this is the rhythm that's going on right here. And they'll go, you heard that. you know. So I think um, as a director, I'm very, uh, I, even though I don't have musical training, I am very um, rhythm focused. And so um, I tend to look at actors who, I tend to love working with actors who have physical training, but I tend to work with mostly text-based work so i'm looking at how we can take these like especially encoded texts like shakespeare or, or really dense verse i love um how we can turn that from something intellectual into something super visceral mm -hmm. um, 
how we how we make those words really just explode with all the power that they have. Um, so that's kind of what I do. And and if it's a musical, then I'm using the music to do that as well. But but um, I'm working with. I work with rhythm. I think that's yeah. easy. No, it's uh, because we've had other individuals talk about, especially women who are coming back into theater. Uh, we've had Celia Palmtag. We've had um, Carolyn Doyle. And um, we've Carolyn had... was another woman's world performer. Is yeah. that right? Uh, see, small, there small, small world. <laughs> she was one of the people. She wasn't ever a company member, but she was the, one of the first people that when I said somebody ought to do this, she said, you need to do that. I will help you however you need. And she gave me her mailing list, her and uh, her uh, company and with Awen Mater, um, the two of them gave us the Signal Theater Company mailing list to start Yay. with. Them. I awesome. love Signal yeah, Theater. Small, I yeah. God bless the two of them. They're really, they're yeah. yeah. never mentioned with Women's Will. Um, and I think Carolyn was only in one or two of our shows, but, um, but they are critical in us founding just because they believed in us and helped us with something in that first show. Yeah, it was wonderful having her on the podcast. And I've worked with Carolyn when well, EastEnders Repertory Company was around. And she and I have been on stage. I think she was my wife at one time. We did. You um, can't remember who was your wife? Oh, my God. No, she was my wife at one time. Okay, okay. <laughs> we did Fear and Misery in the Third Reich. But she was wonderful when she came on the podcast to talk about what it is being an older woman coming into yeah. uh, the theater and how discriminatory it can be, especially if you're on stage. And even, even you know, let's say as a director or whatever, uh, Deb Carriker also talked about yeah. um, just coming coming back in and, and people are like, well, I don't remember who you are. And, yeah. you know, as an Deb actor- Deb also worked with Women's Will. Ah, see, small yeah. world. <laughs> but, um, you know, as an actor, I can have a um, uh, my resume, even if it's, I don't know, 10 years or 15 years old. Mm -hmm. And there's a privilege of being a man coming back into the theater because, you know, if I fit a particular type or whatever, you know, just throw me on. Yeah. But uh, there is a sort of a discriminatory element with um, an older woman coming on, which is unfortunate. Yeah, it's weird. We seem to become invisible when we're not you know, young and sexy anymore. What's um, wrong with old and sexy? I know. I, I'm, that's what I keep saying. What is wrong with old and sexy? Yeah. We were talking about Don Monique Williams and uh, she, when yeah. you, you mentioned Invisible, there's a wonderful song. She directed Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown. Yeah, yeah. And uh, there's a wonderful song sung by, um, oh, shucks, I can't forget, forget the actress, but she won a, um, a TBA award for singing Invisible. And it talked about being a middle-aged woman and uh, life sort of passing her by. Um, but I often wonder, how does a director get back into the industry? Because, you know, an actor can always do an audition, but how does a director audition I themselves? I wonder that too. I wonder that too. So that is the mystery we're still trying to solve. Um, I, I actually, so I, I had to, so I had to move around for a few years and I was in Kansas city for a couple of years and I thought, okay, there, I think I'm just have to, they hire a lot of actors to direct. So maybe I need to go back to acting. Um, and I was lucky enough there to work with a couple of people, a couple of people who were actors who were supposed to direct something who didn't want to do it. And were like, you're actually a director. Can you just take this? Um, which was, um, but, uh, but I, I wasn't there very long and that was a, also a, kind of a weird theater scene. Um, uh -huh. And so it was, as soon as I got a chance to move back here, I moved back here. Um, I, but yeah, I haven't cracked that because a lot of the ways that you get into directing are either starting your own company, right? Um, which I could do when I was 28 and 
my rent was $300 and I was, it was just me and I didn't even have a car. Right. And I was I, with women's will. I mean, that women's will was started with a thousand bucks that I had saved. Um, I, there's no way you could start a company with a thousand bucks now. Like you can't, there's no way. So, um, I got a mentor when I moved back here who said, okay, here are the things you have to do. You have to, um, you have to go to the T the TSC conference. And I said, okay, cool. Um, so who's going to watch my kids for that week while I'm gone. And, um, who's going to pay the thousand dollars that it costs to be there. And, you know, and the, and the mentor was like, Oh, <laughs> you know, cause I was like, I really do want to go to TSC. So, um, just let me know how I do that. And I will be there for sure. Yeah, and we and that's another thing that we've talked about, you know, there and luckily now there are theater companies that are attentive to women, especially women who have kids. Yeah, you and know, it's not just women. I mean, all of this, none of this is ever just women, right? Like sure. any person that is not independently wealthy has this challenge. Any person who has kids has this challenge. It's not just women, it's just that all of them kind of come together in women mm-hmm. or or maybe we're just more like come on, man, like like throw me a bone here. Yeah. Um yeah. Norman, so, let, me, let me ask you this question before, because I do want to talk about neighborhood stories. But yeah. when you were coming back, I guess you never really left. You know, uh, I, I don't think there was a real break between you directing. Um, but mm-hmm. how do you how do you audition yourselves? I mean, there are plenty of companies who know who you are. Yeah. But let's say a company that doesn't know who you are. How do you audition yourself or how do you introduce yourself as a director? Yeah, so I don't know. Go through that. I think some people have good reels. I actually sent my stuff out to be put on a reel. Um, I think it's, it's at least two years ago, and I think it might be three, and it's kind of never happened. Um, but, I, uh, I think the only thing I know to do is either doing my own work or doing a, a reading for somebody. So I have yeah. done readings a couple places. I sort of bugged people to make me, you know, leave me room to do some sort of reading. Um, I think... Um, I think I'm hoping that people coming to see women, um, not women's will neighborhood stories, neighborhood stories. Um, sorry, that one's hardwired in me for so long ago. Of course. Um, yeah. Neighborhood stories. I hope they'll be able to see my directing. Um, I hope people who were at the last three TBA awards can think back and go, Oh yeah, that flowed well. I think, mm-hmm. you know, Oh, there was some, there was thought into like how that was put together and, the order of things and who the people were that were cast in it, even though it's not a play. Um, and then I, and then I'm just sort of hoping that the people who do remember my directing will speak up for me. Um, I know uh, I have a lot of actors who remember my directing. Um, and I, right. I've heard from many years that people really, really enjoy working with me as a director and feel like I'm honoring uh, what they're bringing. Um, I've worked with a number of playwrights who uh, who can speak to how attentive I am to their in, their intent, mm-hmm. um, and I think, uh, yeah, I, I just need a couple more people to re- you know end up in artistic director positions, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> Norman, uh, how how do you do it? How do you how do you push yourself <laughs> off as a director? I wish I knew. Um, no, it's so funny because Play Cafe has just asked me to do a, and we just set a date. It's I don't know, June 6th or something, where I'm going to talk to playwrights about how, what do you do with your show once you've put it on the page? And I'm like, you know, she, I was asked to do a question and answer. And I'm like, better, better idea. Because I can't come in and say, here's what you do. I wish I could. 
Um, I can say these are things that I've done or these are things that I've seen. And I really want to open it up to them and say, what have you tried? What works? What doesn't work? You know, let's keep everybody from wasting their time. There's a bunch of stuff you don't want to do. I don't know how many playwrights I've heard say and established playwrights, not like no, you know, not no name playwrights, playwrights who've actually had their work done. One guy who actually had his piece in American Theater Monthly because it was such a successful play. And he talked to Berkeley Rep. And they said, oh, yeah, we'd really be excited to read what else you're working on. So he left a copy and that person left and the new person came and he got in touch with them and they said, oh, yeah, well, sure, definitely would be interested in, in, in seeing. So he comes. Can you bring us a copy? And he's like, yes. And he he didn't say you should have it or anything like that. He brought it, sets it on the table. The next time they end up having a talk, he comes in and he looks at that same little desk or you know counter space the same play is sitting there untouched. And I'm like, and this is somebody who's established. So no, I don't, I don't know the answer to how you get your foot in the door. I can tell you places where I've been hired, but you know, if, if they keep hiring you, like the people who get in at a um, new conservatory, for example, there are a few people who I know at least one person who's been there for over a couple of decades. Yay for him. Regular steady work, a wonderful range of stuff major American playwright world premieres. What, what more could you ask for? But that's one position for one person. And that means I'm not getting that job. She's not getting that job. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I think, I mean, playwrights, I think, are the, they have it even harder than directors. It's really rough. Yeah. Really rough. And, and it, even when you intend to, I mean, because I've been that person who's, who's intended to read that play. And I, by the way, I know who that playwright is that you're talking about. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I've been that person who have to like send me that play and I absolutely intend to read it. And then life gets in the way and it, you know, I don't read it and I still have it. And I'm like, uh, not that, not that actual play. I've read that one. Um, <laughs> but yeah, unless you have a literary committee, like it's really, it's, we're all underpaid. We're all, uh, this is a field that the economics of it don't work. And so it's right. everyone's, um, everyone's, working as hard as they can and feeling underappreciated no matter what. And I, I don't see how you change that without a, a, a massive like reorganization of the United States. Hopefully that's yeah. funding. Yeah, like, it just, Hopefully we're in the middle of that. Hopefully yeah. we're in the middle of that. Cause COVID, you know, co I mean, you know, the, you know, obviously there's the yings and yangs of COVID because uh, you know, we, Norman and I, we, we were talking about the Douglas Morrison theater. They, I don't know mm -hmm. if they're folding or, but you know, they let go of all of they their let staff. Go of their, yeah. Their whole staff. Yeah. Uh, because of COVID. So, you know, there are a lot of casualties, but also um, it may ease things economically. I mean, in, you know, as things open up, maybe, you know, rentals will be easier and mm. it'll be easier to put on plays and, and things. Um, I wanted to jump into neighborhood stories because we yeah. it's about 2.34, but it sounds like a week from now, we're going to be experiencing something fantastic. I'm looking at the- Local, because it's already right been now. running, right? No, so that's the thing. So I should- I thought the Mills Valley, no? No, 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 the Mill Valley one is about to open. Oh, so Neighborhood Stories is this, like, just to orient people, it's not a company, exactly. It's just a project I'm doing during COVID. Um, and uh, and it's designed to a couple, couple of different things. I, as we mentioned at the beginning of this conversation, I'm sitting up on the top of this hill and I'm looking down and I'm going, I am connected to all of these people I can see, right? Like Yertle the Turtle. I can see, I like see all these people. Right. Um, and they don't know they're connected and everybody feels disconnected and everybody's in their homes feeling alone um, or they're working too hard and feeling 
like they're in danger, right? Mm-hmm. Um, until uh, until recently, and, uh, and maybe they've luckily gotten their shots now, but still we're in danger. We don't know, right? If um, how to be together and what is the job of art? It is not to entertain. It is to bring communities together, right? To to ex- to examine, you know, what to to illuminate what has happened to us in the past, what got us here, um, to really explore what is happening right now, and to um, look at what the possible futures are and how we step into them together. And mm-hmm. so I was like, we need art right now. We need performing arts right now. This is what brings people together. Yeah, um, and people know that, but they're stuck on Netflix and you know, love love my streaming stuff, but we're missing in-person connection. So how can I, how can we do live theater in a way that will be safe mm-hmm. for everyone involved? And so I was like, all right, you know what? We can all perform on our own. I'm not going to give myself COVID. Um, so if I'm performing by myself, um, uh, I'm safe. Um, if an audience comes and watches me behind the screen of their car, they're not going to catch anything from me and I'm not going to catch anything from them. So I, um, I am doing three, I'm calling them episodes. Uh, the first episode was this past fall in Oakland and we had a bunch of performers at eight different locations in Oakland um, and we sent cars around. Um, in that version, we were texting people things. I think we've got a smoother version now, a smoother sort of protocol on it now. But we, we only released the first location to the ticket buyers that day, the day of the show. They show up at the first location, they have no idea what they're gonna see. We do have all the performers on the website, but I actually suggest you just go not knowing because it's mm-hmm. kind of more fun to just find this. And it, and for the audience, it really operates like a like a city bu- driving tour, right? So you've got this, um, you know, you're going to go somewhere, but instead of us saying, "Oh, look, and over there on the left is Coit Tower, and over there on the right is Fisherman's Wharf," it's you know, over there on the left is a dancer. Um, and then you're going to drive another, you know, three quarters of a mile. And over there on your right is going to be a, a musician or an actor. Um, with the Oakland production, I really wanted to highlight the wide range of performers that Oakland uh, contains because Oakland has such a huge, huge population of, of uh, artists. Um, I think higher than anywhere else in the Bay Area. Mm. Uh, so I, I wanted to, to have the widest variety of performance style that I could. And we had um, everybody from, we had um, Gamelan, uh, Balinese music and dance. We had clowning. We had Buto inflected dance. We had um, modern dance, spoken word work. Um, we had, um, and we had a couple of monologues that were written for the place where they were going to be performed. Um, Cleavon Smith wrote a piece for Troy Rocket that was particularly powerful um, for this one little corner uh, right by where uh, Cleavon lives and right by where Troy used to live. And so mm. there was this little corner that nobody would ever notice. You drive right past it, you would never, ever notice it. Um, let's do something that's dedicated to that little spot. Uh-huh. Um, and so it provides work for actors or performers, not just actors. Um, and it uh, takes people around and points out that artists are interpreters of our time and place. Um, and I hope, you know, when, when, wherever your hometown is, everybody can walk through their hometown and go, oh, that's where the, the ice cream place used to be that I always went. And that's, the, um, that's where the person I had my first crush on lived. Yeah. Uh, and that's where, you know, I 
drunkenly fell down and embarrassed myself or whatever, right? We've all got these stories around our own neighborhoods, right? And so I I thought, um, I want this experience to be something where if you are from that city, it will feel very, the, the experience will feel very much like you're, re, you're re-seeing your city and going, right, right, right. That's why I lived here. And that's what my, this, it adds to your recollections of mm-hmm. that city. And if you're not from that city, it makes you feel a little bit like a local and it makes you feel invested emotionally in that place um, and want to go back to it. So, you know, like um, maybe people don't usually go to Oakland or they go to one little corner of Oakland for one store that they like or Maybe they go down to Jack London because they like Jack London, you know, or something like that, but they maybe don't explore the wider city. And so this is a way to take people into some neighborhoods that they might know and some neighborhoods they might not. Uh-huh. Um, and then with the added benefit, I hope that now every time they drive past that spot, they think of art and they think of performers and they think, I have an investment in that, that spot because of that performer. And so I hope that it, um, raises the value in the general public's mind about how important artists are as that, first of all, that we're not like movie stars and people at the Grammys. We are your neighbors. Mm-hmm. We're working class people who live in every neighborhood around the Bay area um, that we're value valuable members because we really bring something to that community, but that we're also vulnerable members that we are the first ones to be unemployed um, we're the first ones to go hungry. And so we need to be supported. Um, so I'm hoping that kind of all of that comes through in these little tiny snippets that they see. So- no, it, it sounds very, really cool. And it's a way for um, the neighborhood to also to give back to the, you know, the theater community and, but also the artists. I mean, I'm looking at the website right now, you have singers, you have and dancers, you have actors and it gives uh, us you know artists a chance to say oh wow you know even with COVID I can actually still perform and give something back to the community and let those who live in the community know oh wow there's something more than you know the local store the local movie theater Mm -hmm. that I go to I'm getting some sort of entertainment I'm getting connection to my community from my neighbor I didn't know that my neighbor sang I didn't know that my neighbor can act or dance or something like that and it's really really cool i mean i remember you know like going into the office and all of a sudden you know one of my coworkers was like oh wow you wrote a play i didn't I had no idea right. and then they'll open up they'll like you know i play the saxophone and it's it's a way to you know to connect to neighborhoods so I'm, I'm excited neighborhood story sounds awesome how did you find all of these people oh you know wide range of ways i mean with um so with Oakland, it was a lot of people that I knew, and then I asked them to recommend other people. Um, and so I started with people that I knew. And I'm um, the third episode is in El Cerrito, and that is also started with a bunch of people that I knew. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that will be starting in mid-May. Um, with the Mill Valley one, it happened a little bit differently in that um, somebody who came to see the Oakland show was a Mill Valley resident and called me up and said, hey, I <laughs> really liked that. I would really like one to happen in Mill Valley. Can that happen? And I said, yeah, absolutely. And so the first person that I called was Denmo Ibrahim, who Ah, I like one of my favorite performers. Um, And 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 not just performer, but she's a truly creative, like she is a creative, you know, in that, in a big C creative. Um, And I had already put something on my on the neighborhood stories website in the months that we weren't doing something live. I was um, putting up um, art, pro- art, interactive art prompts, and I put up her. Um, she's got a 
a downloadable guided walk called You Are Not Alone that I put up there and said, you know, and it, you know, directly pays her. So I think it, it might still be up if, if people go to play from home on the neighborhood web, uh, neighborhood stories website, oh, which is neighborhood stories.com. Yeah. And we'll have a link. Um, people can yeah. get the link. Um, if you go to play from play at home um, or play from home, I think I might have her talk, her walk still up there. It's fantastic. And it's a pay what you can starting at $10 and just go download it. It's so great. It goes, all the money goes straight to her and her uh, co-creators on it. Um, and, and I just love the way that she looks at the world in a way that I feel is really compatible with the way that I do, which is, you know, what is going on and how can we interact with the whole world, not just thinking about being on a stage? Um, what is our environment? What is our time? Um, how can we connect to people in a really, really personal sort of way? Um, so I reach out to her and she's actually, she's doing another thing right now at, uh, with uh, Marin Theater Company. So she was not available. And I was like, no. Um, so I was completely crushed and sort of stumped. Um, and so I, I actually just went to the TBA website and started looking up what performers were um, actually lived in Mill Valley. So mm. you were on the talent bank there, put your actual right. city in there. Um, so I looked at that. Um, I talked to anybody that I knew lived nearby and said, who do you recommend that lives in town? Um, and then the, the, the Mill Valley resident who called me is, is co-producing with me and he knew a bunch of bands. So um, I got the bands through him. And then the last person that I ended up with is, um, is a, an indigenous storyteller. I was really, the more that I, it felt weird to me to do the Oakland one without an indigenous performer. Um, and then when I was looking at Mill Valley, I was like, there's no way I'm doing this one without somebody um, representing because this place is so much about the landscape and um, sort of the legends about Mount, Mount Tamalpais are so huge and people's, um, minds there that I that I just couldn't couldn't work something without her so I, I just mm -hmm. searched is this, every a, is this Alicia Mary Rittis yeah I don't yeah. know if I'm saying that name right yeah she, and she's amazing she's a storyteller who travels all uh, all around the area doing doing all sorts of education and performing and she's a musician and just a, a, an incredible incredible performer um, and so I, I just reached out a bunch of places and said does anybody have to recommend and finally found her through the Mill Valley Library I was like some there'll be a storyteller. I'm sure there's a storyteller. And they said, Oh yeah, this is the person you want. You need her. And um, so she was the last person that I, that I inked in on it. But, um, but it, it's a really good variety of people. Uh, if you go to the website, you will not see every performer every day. We have only eight stops on the, on the location, but, um, but you'll see most of those people every time. And yeah. sorry, so when people are doing this, this isn't just walking by, this is driving. It's driving. So yeah, there is a, Right now, for, because of COVID and because of, um, I think, so very reasonable union rules, um, there has to be that separation. So um, the performances are outdoors. Audiences do have to come in a car. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that. Um, <gasps> but you can rent a car if you don't own one. Um, it's, and the tickets are not very expensive. So if you are it's a, the ticket price is per car, not per person. So if you, if you need to rent a car, um, brings your whole COVID posse in it and it will be, it will end up being affordable. Um, but yeah, so we give people, um, the driving directions to the sites one at a time. Yeah. Cool. You yeah, just start we'll, popping upon a performer. 
And we'll have that link. It's uh, uh, Saturdays and Sundays, April 17th. That's next week until May the 9th. Yeah. It's opening weekend is sold out. Um, it's, Yay! It, starts, it starts between uh, 2 and 3.45. So I guess people will find out when it starts, when they buy their ticket. Yeah. So, so in other words, you can choose what time you start if there's a ticket available for that time slot. So everybody sees the performers in the same order. So again, that that's part of my directing is I'm putting this in an order that I think makes sense um, for you. And you, you, the first three cars, we only, it's a very, very limited, we only sell 24 tickets a day. Um, and so you'll be with just two other cars tops. Um, so you're getting this little mini command performance and you get to the first site, you see a little short performance, they send you on your way to the next site, you drive to the next site, all three of you, you know, the three cars caravan together and mm -hmm. uh, become, yeah, caravan buddies. And right on. yeah, it's, it's really fun. No, it's cool. We it's added, cool. What we added for Mill Valley is we're adding some historical context into the show um, in between. We've got a, a playlist that people can listen to on their drive to the next spot. So um, Oakland, the, the complaint I had about the Oakland one was that it was sort of, I see a show and then I'm on my own driving and then I see a show and I'm on my own driving. So I'm filling that space this time. Very, oh. very, very nice. Yeah. yeah. I've never How are you filling the space? Um, so my I'm wonderful, wonderful sound designer, Michael Kelly, who you probably know, um, is uh, um, creating these little, uh, a playlist for the whole mm -hmm. show. And so I have um, narration. Some of it is, um, some of it's just thoughts about where we are in time. Mm -hmm. uh, some of them, some of the, some of it is um, little bits of history about the place that they're driving to or that they've just come from. Um, just contextual things, little nice. music snippets from musicians that have lived in Mill Valley, things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, so people can listen and while they drive yeah. to the uh, next destination. It's very, very cool. I mean, everything is really uh, thought out. So neighborhood stories, and uh, that'll that'll be cool. And we'll, like I said, we'll have that. My screen is popping up. Oh, well, yeah. I'm not yeah, worried people about should it. come on over. And if, if Mill Valley is too far for you for some reason, like I said, we're going to have an El Cerrito one in uh, mid-May will be opening. So I'll start publicizing that one pretty soon, too. I just need to get this one open first. Oh, I think right. I'm getting it. So, so um, from April to May, we have, uh, it'll be, this is Marin, Mill, Mill, Mill yeah. Valley. So April 17th to May 9th is Mill Valley. And then El Cerrito will open up on the May 15th. Got it. Got it. Very, very cool. And, yep. you know, although, you let us know, you know, you have our email, so you can let yeah. us know so we can advertise it. Yeah, Fantastic. Okay. And uh, I, I want to be respectful of people's time. Um, shout outs, birthdays. Birthdays. And it's so funny. I, I tried to grab birthdays from before uh, since we've been off for a couple of weeks. Um, uh, but I didn't get that many. So uh, I've got uh, William Oliver the third, who is one of the members of the Oakland Project Theater Project. And he was just in the, uh, the show that they just did. What was it called? Uh, Binding Ties. He was the only live performer. <laughs> His birthday is today. Uh, Greg Ayers is a, I met him as a young man. If you think of uh, Piers Brosnan, who was, had a TV show and then was uh, James Bond for a minute. Greg looks a little bit like him, but I met him when he was a young man and we actually hired him as a, uh, as a teen 
he wasn't a teen. He played a teen. Yeah. Um, I his birthday I is Remington today. Steel. You have to be a certain age to remember Remington Steel. Remington yeah. Steel, right. Uh, Rebecca Patterson, who I hope we will get on at some point. Her birthday is coming up this week. Uh, she's a director I met. We were students at San Francisco State University, and she now runs a women's Shakespeare company in, I'm not sure if it's New York or Canada. It's, I know it's on the East Coast. <laughs> I think she's uh, in New York, or at least it used to be in New York. Queens? I yeah. think so, yeah. Yeah, that's hers. Uh, then a uh, personal, Cindy Robertson is my new sister-in-law. It's, uh, they've only been married a couple of years, but she and my brother actually, at least my brother lost his virginity to her when they were in high school <laughs> and then had whole lives and then came back together. So I think it's kind of beautiful. It's nothing like um, you wanted or your first love. Go ahead. I, I think you may have this one, so I'm going to skip it for now. Uh, James Good theater uh, tech guy and Anne Hallinan is this amazing actress who's been working in Bay Area theater forever and I remember thinking god she's getting kind of old but I saw her in The Seagull a few years ago and she was so fun I was like you can get old and still be an amazing performer so she those are the ones women's will. what's that and she worked small with women's will, will see small world is that it for you that was oh wait I think that was it yeah yeah I was really yeah. shocked my, my People list. apparently do not have much sex nine months before now. <laughs> well, um, here is my list. Uh, Sh- uh, Tian Kai, um, he and I were on the stage. We did. Uh, we were at the Douglas Morrison Theater. We did One Ten in the Shade. And I did a wonderful interview with him. You know, there's been a lot of anti-Asian violence going on. And he yeah. and I, this is before all of this happened, before COVID-19. But uh, he is actually a, um, I think he is, so, you know, he was an actor and now he is sort of a, I want to say a producer. He's trying to encourage, I think he has an agency to helping Asian American actors get on stage and he's doing it in New York. And he, he and I had a wonderful interview on my other podcast, I'm an American too, which I'm trying to bring back up. We talked a lot about what it is being an Asian uh, coming to America and everything that you have to go through. Um, you know, just um, immigration and all that sort of stuff. But it was wonderful. Um, so I may put a link to that. In any case, his birthday is uh, today. He's 29 years old. Happy birthday, Xiao Tian. Also, um, 40, uh, Fortunato Yabut. He is a wonderful um, uh, Philippine actor. And he was in my play. I wrote a little play called Nia. We were also in Godspell a couple of years back. Happy birthday, 40. He and his wife uh, just had a baby uh, a couple of months ago. Yay. So his family's expanding. So that's fantastic. Uh, my sister, Sean, her birthday is on uh, April the 12th. And uh, you mentioned your, um, your uh, is it your cousin's first love? Your cousin just got married? No, my brother. I'm sorry, your I, brother. I, I have a brother who <laughs> yeah, he got married again in his 50s. I'm like, holy cow. Yeah, Good yeah he, he married his first love. I mean, I got married in my 50s. What the hell? Sure. I, I guess it's my turn next. Um, my first love, Yolanda Smith, her birthday is on the 11th. Yeah. Happy birthday to her. She and I graduated from Duke Ellington School of the Arts. She's a wonderful singer. Um, Ann Kuchins. Um, I haven't seen her on stage in such a long time, but she was in Summer Shorts. Cross wires. That was um, EastEnders. Uh, no, no, no. Prior to EastEnders, this was um, Mike oh. Ward. This was a Mike Ward uh, thing before gotcha. Mike Ward passed away. In any case, her birthday is on the fifteenth, and I think I have one last one. Uh, Paulo Salazar, another ex Bendel stiffer. He is an artist. He is actually a um, 
He's a, he calls himself a physical artist. We're going to have him um, uh, as a guest, not the next guest, but then the guest after next. Oh, nice. And uh, Norman, you may remember the uh, the picture that I have, the portrait that I have in my uh, living room. Yes. Of the guy uh, with the, um, the pool stick. He yes. Painted, he painted that. I bought that from him. So it was my way That's of pretty um, cool. investing in an artist. And um, so he, his birthday is on the 15th. Nice. And uh, we'll have him on as a guest because he has a couple of things going on. And that is my list. I thought show. you'd get Melissa Hillman. Melissa Hillman's birthday is coming up this week. Oh, you know what? I have her, but I've, I forget when I where did I work with her? I, I don't know that you worked with her, but I thought we had her on. Oh, <laughs> Maybe. I no, thought I we did. Not. If we haven't, we need to. Melissa is amazing. And yeah. uh, she was the uh, artistic director of Impact Theater for many years. She's been doing all kinds of other things. Um, in fact, she has a, I should have that information. Uh, Play Cafe is, I'm going to be doing a thing for Play Cafe in June. Melissa is doing one this month, talking to playwrights. Let me see if I can pull that up. Go ahead. Talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> well, I've got three shows. Well, obviously, we're going to Neighborhood yeah. Stories. So of course, we will um, promote that beginning April 17th and May the 9th. And we'll have a link to that so that you can buy your ticket and get out and see Moran and see these wonderful um, performances. But also, um, same boat theater, Lisa Kong has been promoting Terremoto Earthquake Environmental Justice Festival. Poems, plays, music in English, Portuguese, and Spanish. It begins this weekend, and I have the link there. Also, uh, streaming will be The Bluest Eye. We've talked about The Bluest Eye already. Aurora Theater Company, uh, Michael right. Ashbury is in it. Don Monique Williams has is direct has directed it. Yeah. And uh, it is streaming until May the 21st. And the last thing that I have six things God hates by the awesome theater.org a podcast audio theater telling six original stories, new stories on the second and the fourth Tuesday of every month. And direct the first one is one who sows discord among brothers. Excuse me. Bless, bless you. Directed by Janae Simon, a very good friend of ours. Oh, yay. And no, I've, been, I, I've been dying to get her on. Uh, I don't know. There's part of it that's a bit shy. She and I, we were on we were on stage. She was Elizabeth Keckley in um, Civil War Christmas. But, and so she's a director. And so um, so those are the those are the things that I'm uh, promoting. I have uh, Melissa's. Uh, it's actually next month. So it's the middle of next month. We can talk about it again in the future. But she calls it. It's a workshop called Jedi Dramaturgy. Jedi stands for justice, e equity, diversity, and inclusion. Nice. Right up her alley. That it? That, that was, yeah, that was it. I, right on. I, I'm boring this week. Yeah, so um, yeah, I figured Playground. I'm always thinking Playground is doing something. Playground is getting ready for, but again, that won't be until May. Best of Playground. I will be directing one for nice. that, and I, I will talk about that when that comes up. Very cool. Aaron, I hope you had a wonderful time. I did. It was so nice hanging out with you guys. Thank so you. soon in person, I hope. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. I've been trying to hopefully our next guest for those who are listening and you may be getting an email or an IM message saying, hey, you know, do you want to be a guest on the yay? We would love to have people come back into uh, my living room. Uh, I know people are a little sketchy and they're like, well, you know, with COVID, I don't know. So, of course, we'll keep on doing things via Zoom, but it would be nice to have a one on one conversation face to face with folks so i'm hoping we'll get back to doing that but in any case um if you're listening to us if you're watching us on uh, facebook i'm sorry not facebook on youtube 
then please like and subscribe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, subscribe, give us a thumbs up. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. And uh, we will act accordingly. And also let us know what subject matters you want us to talk about. I've been pouring uh, Facebook to getting all sorts of subject matters. And that'll be a sort of a segment that we'll have. If you're listening to us traditionally on podcasts, we're on uh, any podcast app that you listen to. We're on Spotify. We're on the uh, that purple podcast app if you have an iPhone or an iPad. Uh, if you're a Android user, you can use the SoundCloud app or just go on soundcloud.com and you'll find us. The A was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise or if you just want to advertise yourself, let us know. Hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. I'm at Red Space Clay. And I'm at Who's Your Hoosier. Do you use social media, Aaron? Is there a place where people can reach you? I do. Yeah. Well, uh, oh, man. Sorry. I'm so unprepared. Um, people uh, can find me on my website. That's probably the easiest thing is AaronMerritt.com. It's E-R-I-N-M-E-R-R-I-T-T. Got to have both R's and both T's. Dot com. It's probably the easiest way to find me, but I'm also on Facebook and Instagram. I think I'm real Aaron Merritt on Instagram and Twitter. Um, and I have no idea what my Facebook one is. It's Aaron Merritt 10 or something. Actually, hold on. I'll look that up. Okay. And also, you got to uh, friend me so that I can uh, link you. Yes, I do. <laughs> okay, I will go do that right now. Yeah. But in uh, any case, yeah, For if you're looking for a fantastic director and uh, really just a great organizer, I mean, uh, you know, you've done neighborhood stories and you've done women's will. And obviously, you know, you're, you're someone who really, really cares about the neighborhood and also using theater to bring people together, not just to entertain but to to bond people together. So any uh, any um, producers and uh, owners of theaters, if you're looking for a creative, a director, a producer, Erin Merritt, you can't go wrong with her. Thank you. That's and it. It's Erin.Merritt.10. Erin.Merritt.10? Erin.Merritt. Uh, what, what's Erin.Merritt. Yeah, Erin.Merritt. This is on Facebook. Erin.Merritt.10. Got it. Okay. So uh, we've got that down. Of course, we'll have that all on the, uh, the show notes that we'll have. Thank you so much. It's a wonderful, wonderful Saturday. So I'm going to get out and uh, get something to eat. Thank you so much. And as Norman and I always say, we got to find a better sign off. And we are out. Out.